In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' 96-88 win in Game 4 of their series with the Brooklyn Nets, completing the sweep four games to zero. We talk about the excellent play by Tobias Harris, how Tyrese Maxey looked to win Game 3, the struggles of James Harden at the rim, Joel Embiid's sprained right knee, and where the Sixers go from here. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by a guy who has absolutely no problem playing with his meat. How you doing, Rich? <laughs> oh, come I on, get that man. off right from the jump. Not even going to let you ease into it. I have no I, problem playing with my food. That's what I said. Food. So I guess I guess for those who don't live in in the bubble that Rich and I live in, there was a quote from Doc Rivers on uh, Friday about finishing off the series and not playing with your meat, which of course. He meant playing with your food. His players came out and corrected him. And and after a triumphant win, yeah. his first thing he says, I have a statement to make. And usually <laughs> when he says, I have a statement to make, sometimes it's a political statement. Sometimes it's a, a nice thing about one of the other coaches, whatever. It's usually a kind of serious, serious topic. Yeah. And he goes, I have a statement to make. My players clarified it with me. It's playing with your food. <laughs> It was, and Doc's in, you know, obviously Doc's happy because they swept their first round series. He Second could golf. Sweep of he Doc Rivers' career. He's on, he's he's on the course as we speak right now, Derek. Probably. He's probably somewhere in one of the Carolinas. And also he's happy because he got a chance to coach without his star. And when Doc coaches without his star, he levels up. Uh, so he had a lot going for him there last night, but he did, or yesterday afternoon, but he did clarify that he meant playing with your food. Well, one other thing there because that was after doc gave like a three minute soliloquy on why he thought the instigator should not be the one who gets away when the yeah. the reactor which by the way he was going to say after joel was the one who reacted poorly in game three but it also was it's like a debate team you know like you, you take one position that's arguable and you you argue it the best way you can. And it was pretty good. Like, honestly, like it was, it was a pretty good three minute type thing. And and he's, he's right. Like he, he kept mentioning, you know, if Nick Claxton stood over and beat on the park when there's no refs and there's no way to get thrown out, like he, he probably wouldn't do that. Anyway, I think he was so tired from getting his main points across with sure. his, his, you know, his pre press conference talking points and this whole speech he had that he just, let it he slip that you're, you're playing with your blank. And he, he said the wrong word. Classic. Um, I don't even like it, it's weird doing a podcast now because I felt like if we did one after game three, we would, we would have been talking about that kick and, and Harden's ejection and all that kind of stuff for 25 minutes. And now it's like, who cares? They're not getting suspended anymore. Like he accumulated the flagrant foul point. James too. Okay, move on with life. Um, it is think, something where and I, I think over overall too. Like when you talk about the points, Joel getting one flagrant point and James getting two. I don't think James is going to get more flagrant points. Yeah, in the, in it's the much more of a concern of Joe getting one because he will randomly pick stuff up for hard fouls or hard reactions well, or things like that. And let's be real, he is called on to play defense, like actual yes, hard defense. That's at true. Times which that's true. As a physical player, sometimes means a flagrant foul or two in there. 
you don't pick up many flagrants with Olay. I do agree sort of with Doc in the, the general sense that they need to punish the instigator. That's sort of where I've always been on the double technicals. Double technicals are for cowards. Uh, they need to stop calling them. So that, that way, if you are actually concerned about picking up a technical and the other person isn't, you're not going to instigate. You're not going to have role players trying to get in the heads of star players. I do, you know, I think you can't go too far. Like, I don't think, first of all, clearly, I don't think Joe should have reacted the way he did. I don't think reacting with any kind of a violent act like that is warranted on a basketball court, especially when you could get ejected and your team could suffer. But I also don't think Claxton should have been ejected for stepping over Embiid. I think it's a one technical on Embiid or on Claxton. And if you do that consistently, then I think people stop doing shit like that. But we don't need think- to talk too much about that because it's not going to impact anything going forward. And and I think the more I watched it too, just just real quick, because I have takes on this, and we didn't pot after that game. The more I looked at it, he didn't really make contact with the uh, the family jewels area. It seems like it was a glancing blow, if anything, which I think Joel got lucky for the meat area. Yes, the the meat. I think he he was like just outside of the the meat locker or the freezer, like or, or wherever that that area is, and because Claxton really did taunt him. I actually think it was handled properly, to be, to be honest. Uh, the Harden one was insane. That felt like a makeup objection. Insane. Apparently. Because, go ahead. I'm sorry. And Doc was like, I, I don't even know if there was a foul. It's like, okay, there was a foul. Like, yeah, he pushed off. Like, yeah, whatever. But I, I think it was a very, it's a very common action to reach yeah, out your arm and push basketball off. basketball play, completely. And it was, uh, he hit him in an unfortunate spot. I Honestly, when we watch it live, I was like, Oh man, Royce O'Neal's really selling this. He must have flopped, yeah. like or whatever. No, no. Okay, he actually got hit, so he was not flopping. I, I mean, I think that was like flagrant one at worst. And yeah, so like Monty McCutcheon was on with Woj um, on TV, I think it was, and he was explaining it. And you know, apparently, a, a hit to the jewels can cause an escalation, um, and it's a pretty much an automatic escalation. So when James hit him there, where the contact was made was a very big factor in James being. Uh, given the flagrant to and ejected. And I think if you want to tell me like that should be an escalator, fine. Escalate a common foul to a flagrant one, not a common foul to a flagrant two. That seems absurd to me. And a lot of this is tough because the NBA, you know, what's the wording for the the flagrants? Unnecessary and excessive. They don't yes. really publish much outside of that. You know they have a rubric to use, but they don't publish it. So hitting in a sensitive area like that is an escalator. I think they escalated it too far. Likewise, with Embiid, it's not required to hit the guy in the nuts in order to get ejected and a flagrant two, but it can't be be an escalator. He was was trying. Of course he was. So (laughs) I think in that instance, like, would I have understood if they gave Embiid a flagrant two, even if he didn't make contact where he was aiming? Yes. Yeah, you can't do that. That's not a basketball play. That shouldn't happen. Uh, That would be consistent. You know, if Nick Claxton kicked Embiid there, oh my God. Sixers fans would have lost their minds, and rightfully I, so. There's no yeah. place for that in the sport. So I think they focus a little too much on where the contact was made. I think the intent there, especially when you're intending to kick someone in that spot, should have been taken into account. Um, but ultimately, I think you know if they called technicals rather than double technicals, I think probably what happens is Claxton escalates and B gets in his face. They break him up, give Claxton a technical, move on with life. I think that is the way to handle it. But the NBA doesn't generally do that. Regardless, I don't think Embiid can react the way that he did. Uh, and I think he got lucky only getting a flagrant one. It was one of those plays where I thought it could have been a flagrant one or a flagrant two. And if it was a flagrant two, we would not have been here. Uh, no. 
defending him too much because he did try to kick him in the nuts. Okay, let's get to the positive part, which is the Sixers just swept somebody for the first time yeah. in 30 years, Derek. Yeah. 1991. And that was a five-game series. Last seven-game series was Charles Barkley's rookie year. I don't know if you've seen Charles on TV, but he's not a young kid anymore. It's been a while. Charles Barkley owned the Milwaukee Bucks. That's what I learned recently from, <laughs> yes. from 1985 to 1991. I, I did not know that as somebody who covers the Sixers and I feel like is very well-versed in their history, but he really did own the Milwaukee Bucks in non-championship years. I, I, will, uh, <laughs> I will put that out there. And the way they did it, was like you mentioned earlier, no Joel Embiid. Is it surprising that they won shorthanded? I don't think it is. Not They've really. done it all year. And well, not only that, but they're not even really shorthanded. Like last night or yesterday afternoon, I'm going to do this whole podcast. They probably had three of the four best players on the court. Like they're not that shorthanded. Yeah, and I think when you look at the reason they won the game, I think that the main reason there were I, there were two guys that really stood out. I think it's very apparent. One makes. 35 37 million dollars whatever it is and the other one is b-ball paul who's selling 100 dollar hoodies online <laughs> right after the game too like he was he must have been like waiting to go on the podium tweeting out about his hoodies it was it's it's, it's endearing it's a little bit concerning it's incredible it's all of the above so when you look at those two players let's start it's with a millionaire hawking hawking hundred dollar hoodies after right before post game press it's amazing i'm sorry go ahead he just played the most minutes he played in the game and five minutes afterwards, he's saying, DM me for $100 hoodies, which honestly kind of reminds me of my time in college in New York, like just guys selling you stuff on the street. Like yes. that's like whether it's a cell phone, whether it's but no, he is an NBA basketball player who's getting a lot better at NBA basketball, which has been a great story for him. And yet the entrepreneurial spirit in him is is just so high that. He has to continue doing this. But I think, like you said, are they really shorthanded? Well, when the reason they win is that the Sixers' normal fourth option scored on the Nets one-on-one in a way that none of the Nets, none of them could do against the Sixers, yeah, I I think there is a little bit of a talent mismatch there. I think that's fair to say, right? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Leading scorer on that 1991 Milwaukee Bucks team, go. Marcus Johnson, is he still playing? Uh, I do not see him here, no. Ricky Pierce. I don't even know who that is. Me neither. Danny Shays was on the team. Son I only of, know that because he's- Because he's of Dolph Shays, yeah. Dolph Shays' son. Yep. Uh, Dolph, no, Dolph Dale, Dale Ellis was the second leading scorer on that team. Dale, Dale Ellis? Hmm. <laughs> no, I know Dale, Dale Davis. I don't I don't know yeah. Dale, Dale Ellis, though. Jay Humphreys? Keep Any going. Any of these matter? No. Keep going. Uh, Alvin Robertson. I've heard of him. Frank Burkowski. That's a that's a name. Basketball name. Anyway. I wonder if the Locked On Bucks podcast in 1991, it, it probably wasn't getting too high of ratings, <laughs> no. I would say, with that with that crew. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Uh, I actually don't know if Dale Ellis was on the team to end the season because he was only there for 21 games. None of this matters. What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, Enjoy no, Tobias that. had a fantastic game. This is, weird. this is like a weird podcast because on the one hand we're in the middle we're in between series and we technically don't know who they're going to play in round two. Wink, wink. Had a discussion beforehand. It seems like it would be a little bit, little wrong to start talking too much about the heavily favored team that they're likely play in round two. So we'll we'll table that for a minute until uh 
until Atlanta has a chance to <clears throat> pull off the upset. Uh, and also, you're in a series where, you know, we can analyze the death, but they're not going up, up against Bridges anymore. It doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, no, Tobias Harris was fantastic, especially in the second half. I forget exactly how many points he had in the second half, but I think it was something like 16 or so. In that second half, he was making those ISO scores that we probably complain about a lot during the regular season, but when you're down Joe, and when James Harden has no chance of making a layup, you resort to plan C, uh, especially when Tyrese Maxey was just kind of okay. Most of the series, he had his one great moment and it was at the perfect time. Yeah, no, it was that game three final 10 points or 10 points in a row. I forget if they scored like a free throw or anything after that, um, but he had 10 points in a row to lift them in game three. He was fantastic there. Otherwise had a so-so series. So at that point, you're, you're out option A, B and C Tobias post-ups, Tobias ISOs, especially when he's making them, especially when he's not turning the ball over and the Sixers winning the possession battle was a huge factor in their ability to sweep the series. He was fantastic. And in the, Previous podcast, you sort of, I don't think intentionally dismissively called him first round Toby, uh, but he was <laughs> he was fantastic in yet another first round series. He was the best player on the floor last night. Yeah, and it's it's like you said, those bully ball isos, those mid post touches, which I feel like were the plays he got before he was traded to Philadelphia in yes. twenty eighteen. Like that's. The main play in the 2018 Doc Rivers Clippers offense, when that team was not very good and, and Tobias was the number one option, they went to those. And I think, as we've said, as Tobias has turned into more of a 3 and D catch and shoot type guy, there's a reason that you don't want to run those plays because you have Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Tyrese Maxey. Those possessions yeah. are better distributed towards them. But when Embiid's not there, and Harden is completely sticking up the joint. And and Maxi is also Maxi was bad yesterday too. Like we can just he had a he had a couple nice drives, but man, he was completely out of control on some of those transition drives, like just really poor decision making from him. You gotta go to Tobias and and he answered the call, like just these tough physical DeAnthony Melton come screen. I, I need Spencer Dinwiddie so I can just go post him up, rise up and take a shot over him, and he was Excellent. Great moment for him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that the Sixers are are more talented than Nets. Do I think that's the the recipe to winning the next series? No, but sometimes you just need to do the things yeah. to get you through a game. And I think Tobias deserves a ton of credit. That was a, a really tough performance because I like. I don't think we can emphasize this enough, like the, the guards were so bad yesterday. And because Embiid was not playing when the guards are bad, the, the whole offensive identity, there was nothing yeah. going on. There was no yep. movement. There was no, nothing. So if you just got to throw the ball to Tobias and say, bail us out, and, and he did that consistently. So so great effort. I, I got a kick after the game. He basically turned into ball, don't stop. He was like the playoffs or went hoopers. That's, that's, that's that yep. type of style. I'm a hooper. I work on my craft. Ball, don't stop. Get Tobias on the podcast. But, but. You know what? He deserved to say it because he was terrific in that game. Yeah. Yep. And then the other story, a little bit of DeAnthony Melton, but I thought mostly Paul Reed was the one that people took away from. Ended up with 10 points, 15 rebounds, and a blocked shot. I think had five offensive rebounds in the second half alone. And crucially for Paul Reed's playing time, started kicking them out to perimeter shooters more <laughs> than he did taking them back up for shots. They, he, he Paul, very Playing time motivated. He noted that once he started kicking the ball out after offensive rebounding, he started playing more, so he's going to continue to do that. 
and he did that there in the second half. Watching him just outwork, and it really is like this. We mentioned it. The Sixers, even without Embiid, have three of the four best players in this series. And watching them then also outwork a Brooklyn Nets team that had to be desperate the entire time. Yep. You know, when we talk about what's going to project forward to the next playoffs or next round, it doesn't really matter if Joel Embiid doesn't come back healthy, and we'll get to that in a second. And it doesn't really matter if Joel Embiid or if James Harden can't throw the ball in the basket from two feet away, and we'll get to that in a minute too. But the fact that they now have more hustle players, now that they now have more length and more athleticism, like Reed, like McDaniels, like Tucker, obviously, Melton. like Melton, it just gives them more ways to win. It gives them more ways to, you know, play the margins that they didn't have. And none of that matters if their stars aren't stars. But it was nice watching that because that, I mean, first of all, I thought I thought Brooklyn looked like they were just out of gas in the fourth quarter. And maybe some of that just comes down to the fact that they've been running like madmen for four straight games. I think but there's the something Sixers, really to that. The Sixers had way more energy that, than them. Uh, and B-Ball Paul specifically always has more energy than everyone. And he channeled that in a good way yesterday. Before we get to B-Ball Paul, I think that point on Brooklyn running like madmen the entire series is a key one. Because I, I think a lot of people after game three were saying, ooh, ha, ha, have we found out, out a way to kind of hold the Sixers offense down if we... Just double Embiid and start scrambling. Well, guess what? If you're going to play a long series with the Sixers, I think you're going to be gassed by the end of it. Now, yeah. part of that is Brooklyn just doesn't have the offensive firepower. I think, as you correctly noted, Spencer Dinwiddie made his first two threes about two minutes into the game, and you said, I don't think that's a bad thing for the next 46 minutes of the game. Yeah. For, for him and to make those threes. Because he went, I think, one for four from there on out. And to be fair, I actually thought he was going to take more than six attempts. Like when he makes his first two, I thought, oh, Spencer is going to think that he's he's the guy and he's got to carry them. Uh, he actually reined that in a little more than maybe I was expecting. But yeah, I think that gave him a little bit of a false sense of confidence. But but I also think when you see Mikhail Bridges just completely gassed as well, Yep, this is a different guy from the first game of the series who was lighting up the Sixers. And I think at least part of it is... When you voluntarily say all five of our defenders are going to run around like madmen the entire series. I'm not saying the Sixers have a perfect defense, but they don't run around like madmen like the Nets do. And and that is no, a, in fact a lot of their defense is designed to move as little as possible. <laughs> well, and that's the that's one of the benefits of switching. So I do think that came into play when the Sixers were not very good offensively yesterday. The Nets were worse. They just were turning the ball over getting bad shots, couldn't isolate even against like Harden. It was uh, it was a rough performance by Brooklyn. But I do think, you know, as much as people made about, oh, you know, maybe this, this scrambling defense stuff, you better have a deep team because I, I do think that takes a toll on you. To B-Ball Paul, I just... Well, well, one more quick note on that. Like people are like, oh, well, maybe this is the recipe to shutting down the Sixers and Joel Embiid. Do you know what they averaged offensively with Joel Embiid on the floor in that first round series? One twenty-two point three offensive rating. That's not that. good defense. It, you might have like Embiid didn't score a lot, but that's not. And part of that comes down to the fact that they shot the ever living shit out of the ball in game one. But they got they got good. Well, when they stopped playing like idiots in game two, they got good shots in game two too. Like they'll figure that out. I think the the point there is they played like idiots for a lot of that series, and they still got one twenty-two. Right, right. I mean, one twenty-two is the highest offensive rating in the league. Like that. That's that's not good defense, as you said. Uh, and it takes a toll on you. So then you get to B-Ball Paul, who gets the starting role. We did see a little of Trez yesterday, which I was... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. At some point, 
you're probably going to have to play a bad center and like or whatever. I was a Paul little surprised didn't play it wasn't well in the first half. I was a little surprised it wasn't Deadman, and it, it's fine. I mean, Trez was horrible, but that's okay. Like whatever. He, he played they, like three minutes. I think they like, broke even in his five minutes. That's fine. He wasn't good by any stretch, but it didn't cost them ultimately. But Paul Reed in that second half was just a monster on the boards, and, and I think your point about the athleticism is a is a huge thing. The the other thing with Paul Reed too is. For a hustle guy and somebody who I think takes a while to process the play, and that's been making quick decisions has been yeah. kind of his hard thing. Okay, that said, like he has really good touch on those hook shots around the yep. rim when, when he gets them. That's a, a benefit. Those were not easy shots over Claxton. And then the play of the game, in my opinion, he gets a very contested offensive board, and as he gets it, he throws a seed to Melton all in one motion. Melton knocks down a three. Pretty sure the Nets called timeout after that. And that's, it's like you said, I mean, this has been a thing for a long time with Paul. Like the Sixers and Niang and all these guys, Embiid, kick the damn ball out unless you have a layup or whatever. I, I asked him about it afterwards and he said, well, sometimes you're, you know, you, you get alone with the rim and, and I got to get in my bag <laughs> yeah, yeah. afterwards. Uh, but the Sixers need him to do that. I think his defense, again, against the Nets, does it show up as much? But But the fact that he can just switch and, None of those Nets guys can really score on him is not a small part of why the Sixers won yesterday. He was uh, he was terrific. It's good to see that the Sixers have a very confident backup center in round two. And then the the last point I would make on this, it, it, I, I think you, you nailed this. They need Embiid and Harden to be stars. But we have seen the Sixers over the years, when it gets into grinded-out playoff games, we have seen them get out-toughed. Like, we, yeah. we have seen... Teams outwork them, work harder. I saw it even last year. I thought Miami had, I don't think Miami had more talent last year, but obviously with Embiid compromised, you know, they certainly had a health, they had healthier talent than, than the Sixers did in continuity. But they out-toughed them last year. Like they outworked them in that final game. And I think we saw in this series, this Sixers team, there's two things. The guys who were here, like Tobias, I, they looked like they were sick of getting out toughed in, in playoff series. Like they, they were going to do the requisite work to just get those kind of grinded out possessions going their their way, those hustle plays. And it's like you said, they added these guys. PJ, who didn't even play that well yesterday, who made some key offensive rebounds in game three. And then the athleticism guys, Reed, Melton, McDaniels, they have enough guys that they can win more of these ugly games. And I'm confident in saying if the Sixers lose next round, it will be because their guys are hurt or they're just not good enough. But it's not going to be because they got out toughed. And there is something to be said for that. Yeah, I agree. And throw McDaniels in there, too. Quite frankly, McDaniels played, you know, I, I think fair to say I was a little bit skeptical of McDaniels as a playoff player when they acquired him. I thought he did much better than I would have expected. Played extremely well within his role, gave them athleticism, a little bit of passing, which I didn't necessarily know that he had. When they acquired him, I thought he played pretty well in a limited role as well. You know, and, and Melton was huge in that fourth quarter. Huge. And he's been, he was up and down in the series. Had moments where his shot wasn't falling. Uh, but having him as a another switchable defender, two-way player, um, guy who can cause some havoc on defense. He he had a, a big role in the series. He was good. He was good. When when Melt's making threes, it's you got a, a rock solid sixth, seventh man uh, yeah. in, in a playoff rotation. You really did. Yep. So and it was a little frustrating watching him in the first half because they were putting Seth Curry on him. They were putting Patty Mills on him. 
And Meld is not very good at attacking that matchup. And the Sixers also did not do a good job of getting James Harden on those guys which I think could lead into the, the next discussion we're about to have here, unfortunately. Can we just like avoid that discussion? Let's just only have a positive podcast for once. Nope. For once in our goddamn life. No, and honestly, I am usually the one who would try and push it that way. I, I feel like it would be intellectually dishonest to not mention the uh, the big picture issues that are, are facing this team heading into the next series. But yeah, I, Melt is, he was horrible in that first half, but really some some really clutch plays. And he just, it's... I think Zach Lowe put it this way. He's just the guy that F shit up sometimes. And the Sixers have a bunch more guys who could do that, but he is certainly like leading the charge there. He got to the rim. He got to his spots off the dribble, Rich. <laughs> well, look, I completely agree with you. And by the way, the he he is talking about is James Harden. Look. He made James a couple Harden. of really, he, he had one where he got bridges, like, you know, got bridges off balance, exploded off his spot, got in the paint, got it off before Claxton rotated over. It looked really good until it went six inches to the left and had no shot of going in. Put it in the box, James. Put it in the box. What are you doing? One of the best scorers in NBA history. I have zero confidence in him making a even, it's not even like, this isn't just like, hey, he doesn't have the burst to like jam over people anymore like no he's getting clean looks at times sure there are some where Claxton will have like a chase down he'll get by Claxton on the first move Claxton will recover because he's long and quick but a lot of these he's just blowing the layups I I it's it's mind-boggling I don't I don't get what's going on I don't he has no touch around the rim well we've always talked about there are the two elements of James Hart there's the burst and the pop now we have a third element, unfortunately, a variable that went as wrong as possible. Because like you said, he made a lot of good moves yesterday. I thought he had a lot of layups and a lot of floaters that I would expect he would have made like half of them. He made like 10% of them. It was horrible. And it's it's frustrating to see. I mean, like, it was painful to watch. He took a floater. The, the last shot he took was with... I think it was about like five minutes left. And that's when they started to just say, Tobias, just go to work because James just does not have it today. He gets by Royce O'Neal, puts him on his back. He's completely open. And he pulled the string like it was like pulling a a curtain on a stage. He pulled the string so far on a six foot floater. It was. And it's like you said, this is one of the best scorers in the history of this sport. This is an all timer. This is one of the most skilled players that will ever touch a basketball ever. And it's mind boggling. He can't make fairly easy shots. And this goes beyond. Yeah, he can't dunk like he used to. No, man. Like James Harden seems like the guy that when he's 55 years old, if he plays at the Y after going out all night, I I assume he's still going to go out all night at 55 years old. He'll roll to the Y the next morning, maybe straight from the club. (laughs) And be giving people buckets by making all these shots. He can't make anything no. right now. It is wild. If you look at the numbers, nine of 34 from two point range for the entire series. And most of them, at least half of them, were on pull up jumpers, on mid range jumpers. He's, He's to like, the point where I'm like, hey, when you're dancing with the ball, how about you just take that contested, contested jumper instead of trying to get a layup? Probably have a better chance. I'm- it, it's wild. The fadeaway contested 12 footer. Is a better shot than him yes. for a semi-open driving to the rim 
five-footer slash layup. It's bizarre. I mean, game three, we, we didn't podcast after that one. He had one where he got completely by somebody and was on the right side. And he smoked that by five feet. It was like a layup on the right side. He missed by a mile. He shot it over the backboard, it, like the over the, the box. It was. And when I saw that, I was just like, oh, OK, I, I guess he, he can't make layups anymore. So when you come to Philly, you've got to lose something. Something from your bag gets lost for, you know, Markel Fultz. That was the hezzy pull up Jimbo for James Harden. That's the that's the layup. Uh, and so I don't really know what to do with this, because. I, th- I think, as we mentioned, I think there there is a lot worth celebrating from that series and from yesterday's game. Your depth, your toughness, your role guys stepping up, Doc being unbelievable at coaching with one hand tied behind his back, all that stuff. And with the other hand on his meat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know how to not make jokes about this. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I- <laughs> yeah, that might have been your best one ever. <laughs> but the two... The status of your two stars, James Harden is playing his worst basketball of the season, and Joel Embiid is hurt. It's hard not to look at that series. Look, look, we can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I think there's a really good chance we look at this series as a failure because they did not get through it intact and playing good basketball with the two pieces that matter. And I, I hate that I have to say it. I hate that I have to say that. No, they but, swept the team, and I don't think anyone's feeling more optimistic about their chances in the second round, which is a shame because a lot of their their you know complementary pieces played really good basketball, just not the three that you need to win the title. Uh, and Embiid played well before he got injured. You know, obviously he was not moving all that great in Game Three, but first two games he played very good basketball, even if the, the scoring numbers weren't there, and even quite frankly the assist numbers weren't there um, because he gets those hockey assists. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's weird, right? Because on the one hand, when he struggled inside last year, it was a lot of the, I'm going to like just lift the ball up towards the rim and hope I get fouled and not even really attempt a shot. Whereas this year, because he couldn't get by his guy and every layup was contested and he didn't have the burst to, or the pop, I'm sorry, he didn't have the pop to really get up there and finish over traffic. This year, he's getting by, not always, especially a couple of weeks after that Achilles. But in the last two games, he's getting by his defender with pretty good regularity and against pretty good defenders. And yet you still have absolutely no confidence whatsoever that he is going to make that shot. And now you're going to go up against better defenders and a better team that makes fewer mistakes. And your big man might not be 100%. And I don't know what you're going to get out of James Harden. And it's just just so weird because that burst looks fine. Not great. Like he's not 27 year old James Harden, but that burst looks fine. There will be a couple possessions a game where he falls down on the floor because he runs straight into a dude. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, there were enough possessions in yesterday's game against look, Boston is a better team. They, they will punish them more, but against a team that is not an easy matchup for Harden, just because there's not a lot of defenders for him to exploit and get by. He got he- by them enough. Right. And even when he was getting by him, it's not like he was just getting by Seth Curry, who was largely out of the rotation for the middle chunk of this. No, he was getting series. by Bridges and Claxton yeah. and right. Kate Smith. It's not like he was picking on Joe Harris the entire time. I, like he was getting by good defenders. That should have caused some problems. I don't know what to make of it. And it's it's funny, when we look back at the beginning of the season, remember when they went small ball, when Joel was out, they would play these like one thirty to one twenty five games, and we would say, Oh my god, this is the worst defense I've ever seen in my life, but Look, Harden knows how to play with the spread floor. Like, if, yeah. if you just give him the ball, whether it's with his his vision or his burst, whatever it is, like, he's he's crafty enough to give you a good offensive performance. And I think it's concerning that yesterday he was given that opportunity in the playoffs, and he was an F offensively. Like, yeah. I just – there's no other way to put it. That's uh, That's super concerning. And I don't – look, he's going to get a full week off to – Maybe work on some laps. Maybe he does a little mic and drill, you know, get under the basket, put it in the box one side, put it in the box right-handed, you know, just just try yep. try to work on your layup skills that way. I certainly think besides Embiid, like he is the, the sixer that will make best use of this one week off because I don't know. He just needs to like not do what he did <laughs> over over this series. Yeah, well, so I, it's I don't really know what to say. It's it's very concerning. We we've said all year that James Harden is their most important player, and that was awful. <laughs> it was terrible, you know, and, and good for the Sixers overcoming it, good for James Harden not pouting and, and still getting them over the finish line with, with some nice passes. He threw some nice passes to Mr. B ball, yeah. but that's we we know that's not good enough. All right. Joe. Missed the game with a right knee sprain. After the game, Doc Rivers said that he thought it was probably 50% at least that Embiid would not be ready for the start of the second round playoff series. Uh, That second round, I believe it would start 
It's scheduled to start on the Monday or Tuesday of the 1st and 2nd of May and can be pushed back to the 29th or 30th if both teams wrap up their series in advance. Obviously, the Sixers already wrapped up their series. Adrian Wojnowski on ESPN, I think, painted a little more of a optimistic picture, uh, basically saying that they thought it would be a week. A week from that injury would put him back ready for the start of the second round. Who knows whether or not, you know, a I had some people on Twitter being like, well, who's lying? Nobody's really lying. They're kind of guessing and projecting. And if you're the Sixers coming from an official source, you probably take the, um, you know, under promise over deliver route. You don't want to guarantee he will be back and then have a, a setback happen. Could be some gamesmanship involved there. Too. Could be some gamesmanship. They will take a little bit of heartache from their fans. If it means that the Celtics are a mildly little bit confused, but it's not. <laughs> It's awful. What do you mean? It's 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 not. It's terrible. It's and the way he was moving. And look, you know, we saw him like right after it happened. So maybe that's the worst it will look. He was not moving great in the locker room and in the hallways of the Barclays Center there after that game. He looked like he was in a little bit of pain. He had a, he had a bunch of ice on those knees too. Yeah. At, yep. Look, I, look I think he was, was in a he was in a pretty good mood. He just made a great block to win the game. Yep. He got away with the technical. He got the joke about Claxton and Claxton getting kicked out and all those stuff. But I agree with you. He was not moving great. He doesn't remember the play where he picked up a technical or a flagrant one. He does remember when Claxton got ejected. <laughs> he said with a big smile on his face. I just I think it was Matt Carey who tweeted this out. I just wanted to go one playoff series without getting a tweet notification from Woj or Shams. That had the word or the, the letters MRI in it. Just one. Just give me one series. Can't do it. Doesn't happen. Happens every single year. Every single first round too. No, it every happens every. Round. Yeah, it happens every single series. I don't know. What to I say. don't. It's it's hard. I don't like. I, uh, people get mad. At, I don't blame him. Like random. It's so weird that we started off his career worried about the catastrophic injuries, the broken navicular bones and whatnot. He hasn't. Knock on wood, he hasn't had those. It's just the nagging injuries that happen every year at this time. And it's, it's, I can't get mad at him. It's not really his fault. He's not doing anything to cause it. It's just a very large human being playing very hard in a sport where you land and twist and bump and sucks. So, so what do you think? I guess before we get into the overall impact of it, because I I was wondering this, he clearly plays harder in the playoffs. There's just no question about it. And I think defensively is the, the main place where he plays harder. Do you think that is what contributes to it? Or do you look at the the play, which looked like Cam Johnson just kind of got tangled up with him after he contested a shot, but that's something you see in the regular season a yeah, lot from him. There's nothing unique from there. Like if he would have injured his 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 knee after that chase down block, okay, maybe that's something that like, you know, that's that's a three hundred plus pound human being running faster and landing harder than he normally does. No, he's just, these are brand, like, he gets his fucking finger caught in a jersey. Like, I, I just don't know how it happens. I really don't. And it makes you wonder. It's like, man, maybe he should got, should have gotten kicked out of that game. Because then he would have been. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, fucking, they lose. They it's, lose. it's a ref bias against Philly by letting Joel Embiid stay in the game. Well, that's the thing. Okay, yeah, they lose that game probably. But then they win game four. And then, you know, can, can he get through game five healthy? And then you're, you know, you still got a week off before you play. Boston, not a week, but you know, four or five days, whatever. Uh, it's it's a nightmare, man. I, I don't know what, what other way to say it. And look, there is like like you mentioned, there is a lot of uncertainty here. When does he come back? You know, what Woj said, there was optimism he could return early as next week, and it 
when I read that, I thought that meant, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, if, if, if necessary. Now he's not even going to come close to the beginning of next week. It's going to be the end of next week at the very earliest. But you just don't, you can't have this uncertainty. It's just, it's, it's not a good place to, to be in because then you wonder, okay, when he comes back, what does he look like? You know, like, is yeah. he, is he the guy who's going to kill the Boston Celtics? Because guess what? They need that guy. Yeah, <laughs> the no, Boston they need Celtics, 40 a night from him. Yeah. The Boston Celtics, and I know you said we weren't going to go ahead to, to preview that, but let, let's just paint the picture here. Because hey, if if Clint Capella and the boys, if they if they get it done, okay, well, we will. There will be a mea culpa from me and, and the Hawks and Trey Young. If they play Boston, they have one advantage on the court. One, it's a yep. big one. And the Celtics have advantages pretty much everywhere else. They need to press that advantage to the nth degree, and that advantage is now we don't know when he's coming back, and we don't know <laughs> how he's going to play, and so I. It's tough. Like I, I think there is a lot worth celebrating from yesterday, but it's also hard to not be down when you have Doc saying things like, the MRI doesn't turn out well most of the time when you hear those three letters, and this one did not. That was pretty much a direct quote from him, that this one did not. No, Doc was very down in that press conference. Most of this came in the pregame. Um, hold on, I actually have it right here. I got uh, it. I got see. it. He said, I talked to him last night. Clearly the, you know, the groundhog day nature of it, that's on your mind. But like I said, this is another obstacle in the story we're going to write and you're going to be okay. It may take a minute. Yeah. Keywords there, but this is just part of it. He's human and goodness. This happens again. So let's win. Let's get him back on the floor and let's just keep our own journey. But yep. <sighs> I, honestly, I thought that was a really good answer. From Doc, uh, I thought he expressed that well, both to Embiid presumably, and then also to us. But he also then said uh, they checked the, his knee out right after game because he was complaining about soreness behind the knee, which is always scary when it's behind the knee, and there was swelling there already, which is way too early. So we did the MRI. Uh, as a coach, I hate that word, yada yada yada, because it never comes out well. And in this one, it did not, like you said. Um, you know, him talking about pain behind the knee and swelling earlier than they expected. It was not the most optimistic of press conferences I've heard Doc Rivers give. It's not the most optimistic of injury updates I've heard Doc Rivers give. Maybe some of that is gamesmanship, but I I, I read it as genuine, and that's scary. And look, I don't think, like, Joe's not going to miss the playoffs. Like, he'll come back, whether it's for game one of the Boston series or game three or wherever. He'll, he'll be back in these playoffs, I have no doubt, in large part because Joe's just going to battle through it. But are you getting 60% of Joe, 80% of Joe? Does this get worse as he plays on it? Is he, does he come back and it's 80%, but he plays and then it goes to 60%? Like you have no idea. And we just talked about James Harden, who apparently his Achilles injury sapped away all of his touch around the rim. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Still not entirely sure how to make that connection, that, but it the, did. The wrist bone connected to the <laughs> yeah. Achilles. So now you've got that uncertainty and a player in Harden who not only has a touch around the rim concerns, but every now and then the burst looks lesser than it otherwise is. And now you've got uncertainty with Embiid and they went through the entire second half of the season almost up until that Achilles injury healthy and looking good. And it's just look, this is something that happens, right? Like Giannis has a lower back contusion or whatever he has. The Clippers are completely banged up. There's injuries up and down the roster, up and down the NBA teams. It's just, it's always this team. 
It's a, Always. It's a great point. The playoffs are just such a battle of attrition, both within the game, because like we saw yesterday, that game was just a battle of attrition, and the Sixers ultimately were the tougher, better team. But with injuries, it's it's people are they, they're going to go down when they play this hard. Playing this sport at this high of a level with guys this size and this athletic, it, I think it's it's part of the norm of the NBA. And the, the issue is, it's just the Sixers are the team that gets hurt all the time. And, and it'd just be yeah. nice for one year. It's like, oh, completely healthy, but they lost, you know? And the only year that happened was their worst team ever when they were in the bubble. So it's like, oh, wait, that, sorry, Ben didn't play in that series. So what, 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 what am I even talking about? That's the only time Joel was healthy, though, and it just sucks, man. I don't even uh... – by the way, Ben Simmons is on that team, by the way. They just beat. Didn't notice. I didn't, yeah. Legitimately, I didn't notice. It was great. It was great. Didn't, didn't talk about him once. In fact, the only time I, I, I even thought about him was when that tweet he sent out uh, about getting swept in the first round and never wanting it to happen again. That was brought back up. Only time I thought about Ben the entire series. Perfect. Exactly how I drew it up. Yeah. So, look, hopefully this is like a weak injury and it's the optimistic side where you mentioned maybe he's at 90%, but it doesn't get any worse. You know, it's like that type of thing. Uh, but the, it's just the, the uncertainty is it sucks. And it's another playoff series where even against a completely overmatched team, you just can't get through it unscathed with the best player. And it just happens to him every time. You know, we, we talk all the time about, man, these freak injuries in the playoffs. Like, be nice if I don't have any of them. Well, we got another one. So, come up with something optimistic to end this podcast. We can't, we can't end like that. We can't. They just swept the team. So, we can't. So, he, here's an optimistic thing. And maybe people aren't going to like this as much. I think Doc Rivers was pretty awesome yeah. <laughs> over the last couple of games. And I'm and not I, only saying that because he gave us one of the greatest sound bites ever, I'm saying that because of his coaching, too. And I just think, like, in this situation, when he still has a better team than the Nets, but it would be very easy for the Sixers to get down, for them to not play with the the type of spirit after Joel was down. Like, I feel like when you're in that situation, and maybe it's hopefully it's only temporary, hopefully they do get Joel back and, and James starts to make some floaters, he is a good guy to have for that series. Now the question is, can he win a series where his team isn't as good as the other one? Can he... Can he outcoach the the rookie on the other side or Quinn Snyder, who is a good coach as uh, as well? But I, I thought Doc was was a real positive. Um, you got anything else? Pball Paul's a treasure. He's an absolute treasure. It, 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 look, he's gonna he's gonna frustrate the living hell out of you at sometimes, especially Doc Rivers. He's not gonna do everything he's supposed to do. Every now and then, he's gonna dribble between his legs back to front. It's part of the experience. Enjoy it. He There is 10 minutes per game that Joel Embiid is not on the floor. And not only do I enjoy watching those 10 minutes more than I have at any point in Joel Embiid's career, but good shit happens during those 10 minutes more than at any point of Joel Embiid's career. And that is not something to take for granted. And it's honestly, that what was he, the 57th pick in the draft? 58th, I believe. 58th, okay. To get that even a backup center at that spot in the draft and develop him over a two-year stretch to the point where you are confident in him, a completely wild player by nature, but you're now confident in putting him in in a big spot in the playoffs. Sixers development staff gets some credit. Blue coach staff 
gets some credit. Paul Reed gets a lot of credit. It's a great job by all around. It's 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 really it's unorthodox. It's crazy. You don't know what he's going to do next, but he's making more good plays and bad plays. Well, and and that's the beauty of B-Ball Paul is that yeah, he'll have a bad half, but there's been a lot of Sixer centers who have a bad half and then their good half is neutral. His yeah. good half is good. Yeah. <laughs> like And credit his- to Doc to going back to him in the second half too cuz he was bad in the first half. Like I think Doc from 6 months ago pulls him. Doc from 2 2 months ago probably pulls him. And he played his career high in minutes yesterday mm-hmm. in a closeout playoff game. 32 minutes for Mr. B-Ball Paul. And uh he was excellent. Yeah, good shit happens and I I guess that's the one positive heading into Boston. If the Sixers can get their stars back on track again. Big if. We just talked about it for what, like 20, 25 minutes uh, of why that might not be the case. If those guys can get back and playing at the requisite level to compete with the best teams in the NBA, I think the Sixers have players like B-Ball Paul who can help swing you a game with their energy yeah. and their hustle. Like, I, agree. I thought that I, I brought it up already. The play he made where he found Melton after the offensive rebound, I'm like, those. that's a killer playoff play. Like, that's just, the other team is completely deflated after that. You do that on the road in their building. Mm-hmm. However many of your road fans are going absolutely insane, the Put rest of the building is dejected. And, and yeah, and well, in Brooklyn. I thought, I thought Sixers fans traveled well in that one. In Brooklyn, that was not a, a great home court advantage for them, which, by the way, we expected. I mean, we've been yeah. in Brooklyn enough yeah. times over the years. Uh Look, I think they have enough guys in place. They they have the role players in place that I think they can go to war with a lot of these teams. And is it going to be as easy as it was against Brooklyn? No. No, it, it's not. But people, <laughs> not, not just enjoying him. Like, like he is the folk hero who's also good at basketball, too. The, the yeah. stuff he says after the game, he's just a treasure. And, you know, he's he's clearly getting a lot more national pub and good for him. He deserves it because he has played really, really good basketball and, you know, lost in all of the funny lines and all of the, the old tweets of his that are ridiculous from when he was 13 and 14 years old. There's like a real NBA basketball player who's going to get a decent second contract probably in here and he's going to deserve it. And hopefully at that time, he will have enough money to hire someone to take care of his hoodie business. Because, Paul, we do not need you distracted running the FedEx right now. You've got bigger shit on your plate. It would be funny if he got, like, a mid-level exception and he just was like, all right, I don't need the hoodie business anymore. That's, <laughs> that's like, $7 million more than I was making. It's, Look, you know. It, it's fine. Get your swag. That's fine. Like, if you want to have your swag, that's fine. Just have someone else handle it. Like, the logistics. The, you don't need to. Anyway. It would have been funny afterwards if he said, I really wanted the sweep so I could get a week off to sell some hoodies. You know, like there's. Was, was he wearing a hoodie? No, he wasn't wearing a hoodie. Why no, is he, he not wearing a Paul Reed hoodie? It's a good question. After his best game ever. No, he was. I think he had I'll a, guarantee you more people saw his press conference and saw the tweet. Well, that's probably not true. He had a nice button down shirt on. It looked like. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Paul. Come on. All right. I think that's probably all that I have. We'll have another podcast here. Might even have two before we get to the. Uh, the the next series against either the Hawks or the Celtics. We don't know yet, uh, but thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.